As we approach this Easter weekend, our study today is going to focus on the cross, the place of propitiation. We're going to see that our greatest need is reconciliation to God. Secondly, that God's love did not fight with his anger. Thirdly, God chose to act in grace. And fourthly, the means of reconciliation is propitiation. And then we're going to look at some applications of that. Before we get any further, I'm going to ask Mandy now to give us our Bible reading. Bible reading is Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 21 through to 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Our greatest need is reconciliation to God. The reason we need reconciliation is the same gigantic problem that prevents us from being reconciled. When we ran out of, on God and we crossed the bridge, we also burned the bridge behind us and there's no way back. Our sin is the cause of the great divorce, as C.S. Lewis calls it. Even if we took the initiative and said sorry and wanted reconciliation, then we still have a massive barrier to being right with God. The reality is that we don't take the initiative and left to ourselves we'd walk blindly over the cliff edge of life into eternal death. God's righteous anger with our sin is the massive, God-sized barrier to reconciliation. We wouldn't seek God if left to ourselves, and neither would we have any hope of removing or appeasing a God-sized anger against our sin. We're hopeless. We are eternally dead people walking. We desperately need reconciliation to God. But God chose to set his love on a sinful world of people. Before time even began, God had the plan to reconcile us in his heart. Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 5, says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his good pleasure and will. The cross is a crucial point in the historical rescue plan and it's the pinnacle of God's love for lost and guilty people. We desperately need this. We need reconciliation to God. Secondly, God's love did not fight with his anger. We must not think that God's love forced God to find a way to rescue us. There was absolutely no contradiction in God's being, no psychological confliction. God's love did not have a fight with his anger. Neither was there any division or lack of harmony between the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. Now, God would have been utterly just to leave us to carry on to face judgment. 
he would have been just to pack us all off to hell at any point. God would have no guilt issue to have done that. That would simply have been justice done. But at that wonderful point in history that we're celebrating at this time, it's the culmination of a plan that was the choice of unconstrained, unconflicted and truly free love. Bruce Milne wrote, The cross is love dealing sacrificially with the implications of our sin. And John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's hope through believing in Jesus. The event of the cross is God dealing sacrificially. God giving. God gave his one and only Son. God giving something that dearly cost him to save us from eternal perishing in order that we can have eternal life. In John's first letter, chapter 4, verse 9 to 10, it reads, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God sacrificed his Son in order to reconcile us to himself. The need for God's righteous and just anger to be legally satisfied was actually met at the cross. Now God's anger is not temper or losing control. It's rooted in God's own love for holiness and righteousness and justice. God gets angry because he loves. You may have never thought of it that way before. God's anger at sin is God being true to himself as the God of love who loves all that is good and righteous. God's anger is a legal issue, but it's also a felt disposition and emotion in the nature of God because righteous anger is part of being loving. If we love our children, I'm sure we do, we're angry if they're bullied or hurt by others. If our children behave in ways that we can see are damaging themselves, then we are justifiably angry. We have to be wise how we express that anger, of course, but anger itself is not wrong. If we have a love for people, we will also experience anger to one degree or another, because we care about the people we love. So in our own experience as human beings, love and anger are not contradictory, but parts, parts of what it means to care. As well as being a father being, God is the ultimate judge, the judge of the whole universe. And again, that flows from his love of what is holy and good and righteous. God's anger at what sin does is not just because he cares about people, of course, he does, but because sin is an affront and offensive to the holiness and righteousness that God loves, that is God's being, the purity that God loves, that God is. Isaiah 6 verse 3, the angelic beings cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Psalm 33 verse 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. And if God is not angry with sin, and if he does not punish sin's perpetrators in due course, then God is not true to his very nature. Now thirdly, we see that God chose to act in superlative grace, amazing grace. 
The massive barrier I mentioned earlier to us being right with God is ultimately because of God's love. Because God loves holiness and righteousness. They are him. God loves holiness and justice and he loves us, his creatures. But we are unholy and deserve God's justice. So to act in love, God could judge and sadly sentence us. There's no contradiction there. But God chose to go further than the letter of the law. God chose to act far beyond what would simply be justice. He has chosen to act in superlative grace to sinners. 1 John 3 verse 1 See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. The only way that God could love righteousness and justice as well as accept us into his family was to remove that massive barrier himself. No other being was good enough or strong enough to do this. The penalty that justice demanded had to be paid. The righteous anger of God had to fall. That is loving. That is true to his nature. But God chose to go further, much further still, to make the way, to pay the penalty, to absorb the righteous anger himself. The judge chose to pay the penalty of the condemned. And the way was God in the person of his son. Remember when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life? And so Jesus willingly, lovingly takes that anger. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. The Apostle Paul referring to Jesus writes, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, the theologian Bruce Milne writes, The cross is love dealing sacrificially with the implications of our sin. And that's true. But also, it was God's love dealing sacrificially with the implications of his own anger. Righteous anger. The cross is not just a demonstration of God's love, but also a demonstration of his righteous anger. God so loved us and so hated our sin that it had to be his suffering son to absorb the wrath that should have fallen on us. It took such a sacrifice to bring reconciliation. Now fourthly, the means of reconciliation is propitiation. Propitiation is clearly described in many parts of the Bible. Some translations don't use the word propitiation but instead substitute an explanatory phrase such as atoning sacrifice. And fair enough, that's describing the effect of propitiation to atone for our sins, to cover our sins, is what atonement means, so that we can be viewed by God as forgiven and free of guilt. Now in Exodus 25 verse 17, God told Moses to order the construction of the Ark of the Testimony, a special golden box that represented the presence of God in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And it was to have a special lid or cover. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. It had statues of angelic beings called cherubim on top, and the high priest would come into it once a year with the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle some of the blood on the lid and it was called the atonement cover or mercy seat. Exodus 25 verse 22 in the Christian Standard Bible reads I will meet you there above the mercy seat between the two cherubim 
that are over the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you from there. So the priest comes in with the blood of an innocent animal and because of the sacrifice made, the blood that was shed, the sins of the people whom the priest represents are covered. The sins are covered. They are atoned for. The sacrifice itself was a propitiation. It deflected or appeased God's righteous anger against the people and the innocent victim absorbed or propitiated the punishment and so the guilt was spent it was gone because the punishment was spent now bear in mind that the old testament sacrifices never really covered people's sins but they were temporary symbols symbols that kept people's faith looking forward to to the coming of the messiah so when we read atoning sacrifice in the new testament uh, that is a fair description of the result jesus death was the sacrifice that brings about the covering of our sins those who have faith in Christ. But you'll notice that in the NIV where atoning sacrifice is used they'll still note the word propitiation because there is more to dig from a deeper look at this word and so let's do that. Romans 3 verse 25 to 26. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement or propitiation through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Christ's sacrifice of himself results in covering our sin, so that we stand before God covered. But is it then just a cover-up? Is that really what the gospel is about, just a big cover-up? Well, absolutely not. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus provided a just way, a just righteous way to cover our sin. God is not allowing our sins just to be covered up in that, in that cynical sense. The sacrifice itself was a propitiation, a price paid, a gift offered that absorbs or appeases the righteous anger of God, so that the due legal penalty is paid. All through the Old Testament times, the priestly system offered many animal sacrifices over and again over many years. And there were all many prophecies adding up towards the fulfilment when Jesus came on the scene and John the Baptist pointed out, look! the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. God instructed human priests to offer those animal sacrifices over those many years as a picture language, not of what they themselves would achieve, but as a picture of what God was going to do one day through the Lamb of God. God was going to put his Son on the cross and punish him instead of us, and so God was going to propitiate or appease his own wrath and so deflect that wrath away from us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 says God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Again Bruce Milne writes Christ is none other than God himself taking upon his own holy and eternal heart the implications of his own wrath. Romans 3 verse 25 to 26 God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement or propitiation through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed, sins committed by all God's people all through history to that point, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, not legally paid for. But at the cross those sins were punished. Do you see that? Old Testament believers who look forward in faith, finally the punishment for their sins was paid. 
For us New Testament believers looking back in faith to what Jesus did, our sins have been punished, paid for. Can you see the implication of that? Verse 25, 26. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God made the way to reconcile sinners to himself, to bring us back in a way that is legally just and in line with his love for holiness and justice. God was propitiated his own wrath. God has propitiated his own wrath so that now he is free in line with his own nature to forgive and to reconcile us to himself. 1 John 2 verse 2 He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. In the great doctrines of the Bible, it reads, The death of Jesus Christ is set forth as the ground on which a righteous God can pardon a guilty and sinful race without in any way compromising his righteousness. At that point in history, when Jesus died on the cross, the sins committed in the past by believers who sought forgiveness through faith in God, through faith in the coming Messiah. At that point in history, all their sins were punished by God and that punishment fell upon his son. And as we in the New Testament, after the cross, look back to the cross, again at that point, all our sins were punished once and forever. Now, let's think of some applications of this amazing truth. Propitiation is an astounding truth that we need to allow to shape and form our thinking and behaviour. We need to contemplate this, to, to revisit this often, to use it to correct and direct our thinking and attitudes. God has found the way to see justice done and yet lavish his love on us. And we receive this amazing grace through faith in Jesus. Along with all people on this planet, Christians experience the pain and suffering of a broken, sin-spoiled world. We know, of course, this won't be forever. In this lifetime, we also have the memory of our sins and sometimes the consequences of our failures to live with. We do face hard times, and God will use the variety of our experiences, good and bad, to teach us many lessons, at times to chastise us, to bring us back on track if we've wandered. And one of the issues that Christians often have is that suspicion that maybe some of our guilt is not yet atoned for. That maybe we've just let God down once too often. And the memories of our failures come back. Maybe we've slipped into a complacent view of our sin. And we've neglected to take God with the seriousness he deserves. God has become for us the divine cash machine who, who meets our needs. But living for him day by day, loving him, has fallen by the wayside. Now propitiation, the way that Jesus had to suffer, shows that our sin was worse than the worst of our nightmares. Think of what Jesus had to suffer to save us from it. But it's been done and our sin, if we're trusting in Jesus, has gone. That massive God-sized barrier has gone. Maybe we're not seeing the unbelievable, believable love of God. Grace is not so amazing in the depths of our souls and we are not as overwhelmed by the love of God, maybe as we once were. And hence our motivation for Christian living has become duty more than grateful praise. Maybe you're not sure that you're really loved that much at all. John Murray wrote, Propitiation enhances the marvel of his love, for it shows the cost that redemptive love entails. The Apostle John, in his first letter, wrote, 
In chapter 4, verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation for our sins. And so propitiation teaches us that we are more loved than we can ever imagine. Propitiation, God's wrath absorbed, his love outpoured. When Jesus suffered on the cross, he absorbed and satisfied the righteous anger of God deserved by us sinners. And instead of wrath, God loves us lavishly, securely, eternally. A helpful illustration is a firebreak. This is a piece of ground around a building or land which has been cleared and what's left carefully burned. If a forest or prairie fire approaches the house, the building, it, it can't burn ground that has already been burned. And as Jesus suffered the fire of God's anger against sin, those who by faith in Jesus are making their stand on the firebreak are safe. An unknown author wrote these words. Then stand where the fire has been, O soul, and know that thou art safe and free. For thy spotless Saviour has borne the whole, and there's none can come on thee. We do live with the memories of our failures. Sometimes we live with the consequences. Is there some sne sneaking suspicion in your heart that there's still more wrath for you to face from God? Well, there's not. Absolutely not because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, for every believer in him. Stuart Tannend wrote the words of this hymn, when every unclean thought and every sinful deed was scourged upon his back and hammered through his feet, the innocent is cursed, the guilty are released, the punishment of God on God has brought me peace. What joy, what peace has come to us, what hope, what help, what love. Well, let's stand in faith on these truths, think of them, live them, in the, live in the light of them, and rejoice in your salvation always. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder of what your Son did for us. And using this word in the Bible, propitiation, recognising how he came willingly to take the wrath of Almighty God in our place. The punishment that we should have endured, he took. He absorbed and deflected that away from, from all those who believe in him. So that we can say that our guilt is gone, our sins are forgiven, our sins are atoned for, they're covered. And Jesus has taken it all. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into this world to be our saviour. Thank you for the Holy Spirit has helped us to understand these truths and is continuing to help us. Lord, help us to live in the light of these truths. Help these truths to shape our thinking and our behaviour. And Lord, we come to you and thank you as we remember Jesus at this Easter time, the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Thank you for what you did, and we give you praise in your own precious and worthy name. Amen.